Oh, if, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John uh, chapter 13. Just hang out there for, for just a minute. And um, if, if you, this is, and, and we want to, we would love to, to do this. If, if, you, if you were here in the first service, this is your first time here. Um, we do a thing at the end of the second service called Starting Point, where we just invite all the first-time guests or anybody that's been coming for a few weeks um, over to the youth room, and we got um, Joey's pizza. It's just some fantastic pizza, and we just sit and we have lunch together and talk and hang out and get to know one another. And I know that being at the early va- uh, service is quite the disadvantage to, to leave and then come back, um, but if you want some free lunch and uh, got some questions or anything or, or you haven't had a chance to meet me, we would love to invite you um, to that. Um, and then, two, our Operation Christmas Child is coming to a close today, and if you have, um, there's a lot of people interested in how to give to that. It's $9 a box um, to ship, uh, basically just to ship the, it's not just gifts, it's, it's we, we're taking with it the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, into so many different countries, and as they get the gifts, they go through this process of being introduced to Jesus and taught about Jesus, and it's a it's an incredible thing to invest in and to give to, and it's it's $9 a box, and there's a lot of people continue, uh, keep asking questions about it. If you want to do that, today is the day uh, to give that, um, and you can find uh, Melissa, uh, or they'll be out here, Melissa, uh, the Operation Christmas Child, or Carrie out, out here. At the, right in the foyer, you can give that, uh, give that to them. Um, it's an awesome thing, and uh, and yeah, so that's cool. So here, I'm gonna pray, um, and then we're gonna get started um, because I don't know if you can tell by the PowerPoint, um, it's gonna get a little deep today. All right, so I wanna pray, and I wanna, I wanna, I wanna immediately, I wanna immediately, as I pray, I want you to pray that the Lord speaks to us, opens up your heart, opens up your mind and, and breaks down any immediate walls of defensiveness that will for sure rise up in the first five or ten minutes of this message. Does that make sense? All right. So everybody's like, <laughs> when you pray, I'm leaving. That's what you're thinking. As soon as you close your eyes to pray, I'm going to get out of here. All right. But let's pray. Genuinely pray that with me this morning. Father, I come before you, Lord. I come before you just as a humble servant. Uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you will just soften our hearts uh, this morning, Father, that you would just let that inner lawyer in us that uh, just rises up so quickly, Father, just to, just to kill it this morning, Father, just to uh, prevent that. I pray, Father, that you would just turn our hearts, our minds towards you. Let our desire, Father God, to be more like you, more like Christ. God, just speak to us this morning in your name. Amen. So uh, there was a, uh, a poll that was given amongst a thousand other million polls over the last six months, especially coming off the back of uh, the presidential race. And, and, and there was this one poll, and it, was, it broke record numbers. Um, and, and, and for two or three generations, and that was whether or not we believe uh, that our country is united or divided. And it was 86% felt like that we were as divided as about as we've ever, ever have been, that we were not united. Um, and I'm not really sure what the other couple percent of people were thinking or looking at. Um, but I think that if we were to just take a second and we were to, to look at the, the levels of, of different things going on in the country, if we were to look at the politics, we were to look at the religion, we look at the morality, we look at the culture, the civic uh, nature of our country, on just about every level, there's only one real word uh, that would make sense overall, and that word is division. Does that make sense? Right? It's difficult. It's difficult to look into our country right now, look at, especially coming off the back of this presidential election, and see everything, and then look at any other level and describe our country with any other finite thing than the idea of division. And it's not just, it's not just a political war that we see. It's not just a blue America or a red America. It's like 50 shades of blue and 50 shades of red. All right, you don't, you don't, you, you, you kind of, we, we're in this position, and, and I don't, maybe I'm the only one that felt like this, but I felt like in the last presidential election, I, w- I wasn't going, man, I think that person will be best, I was going to get, who's not going to be as worse? 
right? There was no, I don't, I don't think there was hardly anybody. We looked up there and they were like, okay, that's the Savior right there. That's going to be the ticket. There were, there were so many, there was so there was more party division. That means there was more, there was more division in each of the broken up parties that we've ever seen before. There, there's not just one or two things. And if you, and it comes to like a religious standpoint, um, there is this, this overwhelming uh, sense of division going on from the politics that's bleeding into the church. There's all kinds of different denominations are, 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 are having these political wars in their governments. Luckily, we don't have to worry about that because we just do what the Bible says to do. And, and we just do the, our government the way that we see them do. So we don't really have those big wars where we come in and we vote on whether or not to love Jesus. So we just, the, the, if, you, if you look at all the different philosophies that are going on, all the different culture wars, I mean, we have everything going on uh, from gay rights to LGBT to who's using what bathroom, all right, to well, abortion still a big thing. We have, we have all these, these moral rights that everybody's going at each other's throat about. All right, we have, we have, you go down the line, you go down the line, we have racial, racial tension in our country like we have not seen in a long, long, long time, or I would say that it's now more out in the open, rather it's not being ignored like it has for a long, long, long time. We've got extremism groups coming out left and right on both sides of the party, on both sides of racial wars, on both sides of culture wars, on all sides of the civic wars. We've got, we've got extremism groups. And this is the thing. Back 20 years ago, the, the extremism had almost died down. There wasn't really a, a huge extreme uh, group, but now it's like extremism is like normal. And you see these, these uh, different, different groups popping up. All, with all, they stand for all kinds of different things. And, and you're sitting there and you're, and you're, and you're fighting. And, I, and maybe, again, maybe this is just me, but I feel like I am more trying my best to, like, not be associated with, like, different things. Like, I'm like, well, I, I mean, I kind of think like this over here, but I definitely don't want to be associated with this. So I just would rather just remain silent even about this over here. That's how much division there is. True division is not just there's two sides dug in, divided or opposing one. True division is when you look around and you don't know what side to pick because there's so many different ones. Does that make sense? And we got, I mean, we've got, and right now, the way the media is, and I, again, man, I, I, I'm just, I know that, I know that the, if you're mine right now, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to be talking about the other side the whole day. That's what's going to be your natural fallback. He's talking about the other side. But the media right now, there's no such thing as truth anymore. There's just agenda-driven facts. And there's this demonizing of, of you cannot take a stand in this country for anything without being absolutely demonized across the board. You can't, I mean, you cannot stand for anything. You can't stand for a political matter, a moral matter, a religious matter, a philosophical matter, a cultural matter, a, 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 a civic matter. You can't stand for anything because whatever the opposing side is, they're going to demonize you. Nobody's just wrong anymore. They're evil. Right? You can't, you can't just be, you can't take a stand or you can't, you can't stand up and do something. I mean, if you just look at the way they've done our presidents, the last few presidents. And I'm just going to take a something. If just huge disclaimer, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying this is what the opposing party, the opposing side, we paint people. You remember, remember when President Bush, we went to war and that whole, that whole thing? Remember that? And it wasn't, it wasn't just like he had misinformation. I mean, he was an Illuminati, right, unfit, who knew about 9-11 and, and laughed as, it, as the film, there was, no, there was no just like they had misinformation, it couldn't be that. He has to be this evil person, right? Y'all remember that. Speak with me. Wake up. Right, President Obama, he couldn't just have a different view on capitalism. He had to be a closeted Muslim whose only purpose in life was to replace the American Constitution with Sharia law. Right? There's a lot of people going, yeah, that's right. There really is. No. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, that's the opposing view, because they, you, can't, you can't come up and be different, because if you're different, then you're evil. 
And right now, Trump can't just be misguided. The enemy, he's the next Adolf Hitler planning the next Holocaust. Right? And you couldn't agree with one, one thing Obama wanted to do. You couldn't agree with it because if you agreed with it, then you hated America. And now you can't, you can't agree with one thing Trump wants to do because if you do, you're racist. Right? This is division. This isn't healthy politics. This isn't healthy democracy. You cannot take a stand for fear of being absolutely chastised, demonized, blown up. I mean, you, if, if, I, if I were to come up, even right now, if I were to come up and I were to take a stand on any one thing, you just pick. And I would say, oh, well, I lean more this way. Half of you would be like, he's a hero. The other half would be like, he's been possessed by the devil. We need to change churches. Right. And underneath all of this is just a deep, what, what, what is growing, it, it, anger is not, it, it's transferring slowly to absolute hatred. Because you can't just, you, you can't, it's like, we, like when we start to consider some of these things and think some of these things, especially the older generations, because, the, I, and this is the thing I want, I want to open up the eyes to some of the older generations. The younger generations, we just, we don't trust anybody because we've seen everything from the Monica Lewinsky incident to the, to the war. We don't know. We've, we've seen the media absolutely crucify everybody for so many years. We just assume everybody's evil. We don't trust the media. We don't trust. And here's the thing. This is the other thing in the polls. We don't trust the media more than we ever have. We don't trust the government more than we ever have. And we don't even trust each other anymore. Period. There are things that are happening right now, and I'm not trying to be overdramatic. I'm just telling you, there are things that are happening right now, if you do the research, that highly resemble the 30 years leading up to the Civil War. I'm serious. I mean, there is a deep-seated level of division. And the thing I think that bothers me the most, honestly, is the racial tension that's come up. And do you know why? Do you know why this bothers me the most? Because I hear people all the time going, you know, I just feel like we, and mostly it's white people, I, I just feel like I, we, we don't even have a racial, racial tension. They're not slaves anymore. I don't even understand the point. They get to vote. I think if you start anything up with they, then you're probably racist on some level. But do you know what bothers me? Not, not the politics of it all. Do you know what bothers me, genuinely breaks my heart, is that the most segregated place in this country is still the American church. And right now in our small community, while I'm just offending people, anybody go over here to the white campground a few weeks ago? Or did you go to the black campground? No, I'm, no listen. Did you go to the white campground? Or did you go to the black campground when you went to camp meet just a few weeks ago? And if you go outside of the urban cities, outside of the cities, if you go to look at, at almost 85% of rural, 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 R-U-R-U-L, rural churches, and you were to sit down and you were to look up and down the aisle, you would statistically not see someone a different color than you. Got all quiet. Statistically, the American church is the most segregated place in this country. Period. Period. And this is a problem. The division is a problem. And not just because I, I, I love America. I mean, I, I do love our country. I, I think that the original founding principles are incredible. And it's not just because I, as Abraham Lincoln 
uh, share the wisdom of Jesus. A house divided, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe that, but, but that, that's not why this, this, this division, this political war, the civic wars, the culture wars, all the division, that, 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 the, the, the real problem in this, the thing, that, the thing that we really have to look at is how did we get here if we started off this nation as a Christian nation? And I know that sometimes people are trying to rewrite a little bit of the history and they're trying to go, but at the end of the day, win, lose, or draw, if you just take 8 to 15 seconds to do some research, this country started off as a Christian nation. And this was one of the things that when I was young, before I started following Christ, I struggled a lot with Christianity. If you ever heard me preach the platform series or, 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 or you know my general feel towards most American religious systems is that, that I, I, have, I still to this day, after walking with the Lord for years and, and being a pastor and, and, and being a part of a growing move of God, I still to this day struggle to say out loud, I'm a Christian. I still I, I struggle to put label of, of a Christian because of, of what Christian means to so many different people. Right? Because if you look, I'm going to tell you something. Did you know Adolf Hitler was Christian? I'm serious. Did you know that, 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 that there was just as many Christians fighting for slavery as they were fighting against slavery? There were just as many Christians in the civil rights. Do you know the one thing, and, and I know that nobody else does stuff like this. It's just because I'm a, I'm a preacher and I, I like research and stuff. But as I went through and I studied uh, Billy, Graham, uh, Billy Graham's kind of uh, life and some of the things he was a part of. And Martin Luther King's one of my heroes. And, and these two um, did some amazing things together. But did you know um, that as Martin Luther King was doing his thing, that, that Billy Graham was down in Alabama? And this is just, this is just a, and, it, and everybody talks about, you know, it's been, it's been generations ago, generations ago, generations ago slavery but it was like just 50 or 60 years ago that like like white people and black people couldn't be on the same like bus together that there were like separate water fountains and if you want to go and it just 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 to just for fun why don't you google the history of this campground and look at the first five rules that they created and you'll understand pretty clearly why there's a white campground over here and a black campground down the road but that if, 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 you, if, you start to, if you start to kind of go through these things, Billy Graham's in Alabama. This is, this is in our lifetime. In some of y'all's lifetime, he goes down to Alabama, and there's still segregation. They, they there's a small little section labeled the black section, and Billy Graham has to go up. He takes all the things down, and he says, I'm not going to preach unless we integrate it. And he was fought tooth and nail, death threats, all kinds of stuff. But he stayed in Alabama. He stayed over and over and over and over and over again until they, until they started integrating and started coming in. And they had to do that. I'm not, my, it's my point is that this, everybody coming to the Billy Graham thing, they were like Christians or wanting to be Christians. And all the people writing the hate letters were who? Christians. There were pastors, it was a group of pastors that, that literally, in, in, in Alabama, they got together to protest Billy Graham taking down the line so white people and black people would sit together. And then if we want to get into all the religious stuff that I, disla- I, I almost hate about the idea of Christians, that the, the, way, that we, the way that we treat certain people, the, the, the stances that we take and, and the things that we do, the level of anger and, and, and borderline hatred that we have for people that are different from us or think than us. It's, I struggle heavily going, I'm a Christian. I literally, most of the time I'm like, I, I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer of Jesus. And, but I, it, to this day, I struggle saying just this flat sentence, yeah, I'm a Christian. Because of the level of, of what Christian means. And here's the thing. Nobody knows what Christian means. 
Because Christian is not defined at all, hardly ever, in Scripture or anywhere else. You can, just, you can, you can have a stance, have a belief, have a thought process, and you, can take, and you can take Christian and wrap it around anything that you want to be and stand up. One of the biggest genocides in the history of the world are the Crusades, and they're the Christian Crusades. They all got together, and they were like, it's God's will that we go over there and we destroy and kill and wipe out a couple hundred thousand people so that we can have this, this holy city. And then they did it three, four, five, six, seven, eight more times. You can't define Christianity. It's different because this is right here. If you were to ask somebody, what makes you a Christian? 99% of the time, you're going to get some kind of answer like this. It's going to be something about Jesus. But then from a practical way, you're going to get, well, well I'm a Christian and I, and, I, and I have morality. I kind, of, I kind of lean towards this way when it comes to morality. And I, I kind of vote this way when it leans this way. And I go to church sometimes. And that, that, that's, that's the extent of practical Christianity. If you just say you're a Christian, say Jesus' name every now and then, pray for food every now and then, go to church sometimes, you can be a Christian and a successful one. Does that make sense? But Christian is something that, that barely shows up in the Bible at all, period. Barely shows up in the Bible at all. Do you know why? Because that wasn't the word that Jesus used to describe his people. Christians start off as a negative thing. So one of the things that, that, that they had was as the, as the church started growing and God's people, God started adding to the people, there was a thing they called the way or the way of Christ or the, or the way of Jesus. That was, kind of, that was kind of what the original movement was called. And then it was the Romans uh, and the Greeks that, that looked into this, and they started calling them Christians as a slant, as a negative thing, like little Jesuses. Does that make sense? So we, we, Christian became labeled by people who weren't Christians, and then slowly over time we kind of carried that on. And if you go through the history of, of the Christian church and the Catholic church and the Protestant church, there's been a ton of people all the way out to just a, a few hundred years ago, even in this country, where, where all the, 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 the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Baptists, they were killing each other because they over, over how each other were baptizing each other. Do a Google search on the Anabaptists and how many of them were, were kidding. And everybody loves Martin Luther. We're going through, the, if you know anything about church history, we're going through the Reformation period. And I think last Halloween day was the, was the big one. And everybody was like, Halloween is evil and Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, not King, different Martin Luther. He's like the Reformation day and all this other stuff. But Martin Luther like sanctioned the murder of like a whole bunch of people because they baptized people different. And he did it in the name of Christians, right? So you can't, you, there, there, you can't define that. Can't define Christians. But there is a word, and, and this is the thing that I, I, I want to drive at today. Two seconds. This is the thing I want to drive at. Is that you can be Christian, talk about Jesus, know of Jesus, and go to church. But your life look nothing like Jesus ever. Does that make sense? Because it can't be defined. But there is a scripture in a very unique place, a very important place, and it's important to understand where Jesus introduces this word and labels this word for the first time in a powerful way. It's right after the Last Supper. We know it's the Last Supper because of history. They didn't know as they were eating it, it was the Last Supper. Jesus did. And he's talking to them, they're going through the process, and he washes their feet, and he, he starts sharing some things, and then, and then they leave. And, and, and somewhere between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus just takes a second, recognizing the time, recognizing what's about to happen, that he's about to be arrested, that he's about to be taken to trial, convicted and crucified, die for our sins. And he, he stops, and he brings them right together, and he begins to unlay some incredibly powerful things 
into his followers' lives. And this is where we pick up. And this is important to know because this is like the, the, uh, the, the deathbed conversation. Like he knows I've only got a few more minutes with him and I've got I've to I've give this incredibly important piece of information, this knowledge, this wisdom. And so he goes, and, he, and this is kind of where we find ourselves. And this is how he starts. This is in John 13, verse 33. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. So he comes up and he, he tells them straight up. He says, listen, I want you to understand I'm about to leave this season that we've had together. The, the last three and a half years together is coming to an end, and, and I'm not going to be with you any longer. Now, you've got to understand, these guys have given up everything they know and love about life to follow Jesus. And now Jesus here at the precipice of this whole thing is saying, okay, now I'm about to leave, and, and, and I'm not going to be with you. Just, that's, like, that's a devastating thing to hear if you're, if you're one, of the, one of the followers. And Jesus says, he goes on, he says, you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. So he is effectively ending their relationship as they know it, transitioning into a different season. And he says, so in this moment, there's a new command, verse 34, there's a new command I give you. There's a new command I give you. So this is, this is kind of a, a huge thing. Historically, from, from Genesis to Revelation, there was very rarely was, was an, a commandment added by God. But right here in this moment, he says, I'm, I'm bringing you together. I'm about to leave what you know right now and, and, and what the way life is right now is about to dramatically change. And I know that you're not going to be able to comprehend that. I know you're not going to be able to get that. But I want you to know that, that I'm, about to, I'm about to leave. You're not going to be able to come with me where I'm going. You can't come. You can't follow. And I'm going to deliver to you right now a new commandment. And it's important that you understand, he says, a new commandment, that this is a different thing. This means something different than any other things before. So if it's similar to something, if you're not careful, you're going to think, well, that's not a new commandment. But I want you to understand the importance of the language that Jesus uses. He says, I'm bringing to you a new commandment, a new thing, a different thing, a different standard, something of high importance. And it's not just wisdom. It's not just knowledge. It's not just insight. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just a, a, a good way of life. He says, I'm bringing to you a commandment, a parallel with the, with the law of God. I'm giving you something right now. What's about to follow is going to be, it's new, it's different, it's important. And it's in this precipice of between the Last Supper and the crucifixion, this is a huge moment that Jesus Jesus is delivering this new commandment right here. And this is what it says. He says, I give to you a new commandment. Love one another. Did you expect something more like bigger? Because if, you, if you're sitting there, if you've gone to church for a little while and, and, you, and you know the Bible a little bit and, and you've, you've been coming here, you've heard, you, you know that, you know that this, is a, this is not a new commandment. Love one another. This isn't a new commandment. They said, when you ask, what's the most important commandments in Jesus' river? He goes, love the Lord our God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. He says, yeah, love each other, love one another. That, that's part of the Old Testament. That's part of the Old Testament. That's part of the New Testament. That's something they've talked about. Jesus talked about it before. That's not a, that's not a new commandment. Love one another. And if you ask people about this commandment and you ask people about what's going on, a lot of times they'll, they'll start telling them, love one another, love one another. That's what Jesus said, love one another, love one another. But that's not exactly what he said. It's not exactly what he said because he goes on. And this is, this is the part that, that matters. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must now love one another. See, even, even love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's kind of subjective, right? Because what if you hate yourself? <laughs> What if you, I mean, what, what if, what, what, what if you do? 
Love the Lord the God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What if you're having like an insecure day? Right? Love on it. This is, but this, is, this is different because he puts a new standard on it. He says, don't love each other like you love yourself. Don't love each other like a high standard of humanity or human being. He says, I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. That's Jesus. That's the Son of God. That's God himself saying, I want you to love each other the way that God loves you. That's different. That's way different. It's way different. Love each other the way that I have loved you. And I want to go on. We'll come back to the man. I want to go on. Because he says this. He says, by this, talking about the love, by this, everyone will know that you are my what? Disciples. If you love one another. See, that word disciples, that's different than Christian. It's way different. It's substantially off the charts different. You know who's going to struggle with this message the most? The long-time Christians. Because you've gotten used to a certain way of life that Christians can, Christianity and the idea of Christian can allow you to have, but that the idea of disciple will not allow you to live out any longer. Because you can label Christian any way you want to label, and you can do a lot of things, and you can, you can just live in the world, but disciples different. Disciples can't just live in the world. Disciples are called to change the world. There's a difference. He said, Christian, Christian, you can do just about, you can, you can stand on either side of World War II, you can stand on either side of the racial wars, you can stand on any side of the culture wars, you can be Republican, you can be Democrat, you can stand for this, you can stand for that, you can, you can kneel at the football games, stand up for the football games. I said, you can, you can do just about anything you want to do as a Christian, but a disciple radically and totally different because of the way that he just said, I'm labeling disciples in the way that you will know, the way people will look into your life and know whether you're a disciple, not a Christian, but the way people will know that you're a disciple is that you are loving each other, not just on some human level, not some human standard, but you are loving each other in the way that God Almighty loves humanity. Then that's deep. That's deep. That's deep and it's different. And see, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, you're, you're really good Christians. Because you can define what Christians are. But there's a lot of Christians and churchgoers and church attenders and people that have prayed before every dinner and shout the name of Jesus and wear Christian t-shirts but have never actually lived out the life of a disciple. And Jesus didn't call you to live out a Christian life. Jesus called you to live out the life of a disciple. And he said the one way that you will know that you're a disciple is if you are loving each other the way that I loved you. So let's just take one second and talk about the way that Jesus loved us. And to them, what, what, what did it mean to the, to, to the disciples right there in that moment? I'm sure that, that Jesus could easily point to the time like when he, when he had the fishermen and he had, he had Peter and, and they were kind of going around and, and they kind of got the crew and they were still recruiting a little bit for their gang. And they're walking around. Jesus had a gang. And they're walking around and they see, they see Matthew sitting over here and he's a tax collector. I don't know if you don't know anything about tax collecting in this day and age, but this was a massive, 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 massive thing for the Rome would hire these tax collectors. They would come in and then they would like take money and, and that whatever the amount was, they could charge up to that amount. And, and they were, it was like sinners and then like the scum of the earth and then tax collectors were somewhere down here. And so Jesus starts walking up to the tax collector and good old Peter's always, always informing Jesus of the things that Jesus doesn't know. And he's like, Jesus, <laughs> Come here, I, know you, I, see where you, I see where you're going when you do this thing sometimes or you're like changing people's lives. Let me tell you something. That dude right there, that's a tax collector. All right? Satan already lives inside him. 
Well, it's just we need to keep going. And, and, and Jesus just does what Jesus used to do with Peter. was just ignored him. And went over there and said, hey, uh, I'm, uh, let's chill out tonight. We're coming again. So now Peter, Peter's sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't hear what I just said. This, he's a... He's a tax code. This is, this is a, this is, a, I'm talking, this is dead serious. You think we have political division here? You think, I'm serious. The I mean, this was deep-seated, I mean, like murder each other political division in this day and age. This, this, we have not seen political division the way that we saw it in Rome and Israel and the Greeks and, and how everything transitioned, especially 300 years following Jesus. And so this was, a, I mean, this was like if you're like a, a, like a huge, just right wing, I mean, I don't even know what to say, like Republican and then like the worst Democrat in the history of the world in the Republican's eyes. And then y'all were walking down together and just like, yeah, we're going to go to a party with a whole bunch of Democrats tonight. And we're going to talk about how awesome Obama is. For real. I've seen some of y'all's Facebook posts. There's a lot of Republicans in here that'd be like, Jesus, wait! Let's just talk about this thing, man. Like, what? I mean, like, come on. Vice versa. Well, all the, all the Democrats are going around there like, hey, we're going to go. You know what? You've been invited. You're going to go hang out with, uh, with a bunch of Republicans, and they're, they're honoring Donald Trump tonight, President Trump tonight. And I'm going to save them all. I'm not, there's a Democrat. Oh, no. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. Jesus, have you been paying attention? The things that they've been doing, the things that they've been saying? Do you, do you know what they believe? Do you know what they think? Do you know what they voted on? Currently, nothing, because nobody's getting along. So. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm trying to make light of it. I'm trying, I'm trying, but, this is, but I mean, I'm telling you something right now, because there's some, there's some Facebook posts on both sides. I read them, and I'm in my heart. I'm literally like, what an idiot. I struggle, with I struggle with things from, from Bush. I struggle with things from Obama. I struggle with things from, from Trump. But it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's this, this, this thing that like with each other that when we come in, it's like, it's like, yeah, I know that you think that. It's like, but now this is so divided that like if you think that, then like you're the enemy. Right? I know, I just, right? I mean, it's, yeah. No, nobody, nobody can be, take a stand Diff different, different than us, opposition, enemy and now this is same situation jesus is like we're gonna go we're gonna go to a party not just with one tax collector but a bunch of tax collectors and some other sinners and they hang out to the point that the religious leaders they come in and they see this party and they're like what the heck is jesus doing hanging out with all these sinners and tax collectors and republicans and democrats and people that are different from a white are you following me that situation wasn't just about the sinners. That situation was a political thing too with the tax collectors in the room because Jesus was chilling with the enemy at that time. The political enemy at that time was Rome and the people who worked for Rome. And Jesus comes up and they get together. And I mean, can you just imagine Peter? This is Peter who corrects Jesus all the time, cut a guy's ear off with a sword. And I cannot just imagine Peter just sitting at the table pouting, staring at, staring at Matthew. I can see Matthew just leaning over to John because John loved everybody. He's leaning over to John going, what's this guy's problem? Why does he keep holding his sword like that? But Jesus loved Matthew. Despite the sin, despite everything, despite the, the tax collecting, despite the he loved him and he, and he saved him. And, and, and that's just one small example. I mean, obviously we know that Jesus' love was far greater than that. But he loved people. And the woman brought to his feet, caught in adultery, deserved to die in the moment. Didn't condemn her. He loved her. He goes to the woman at the well that had 311 husbands. 
She's lying to him. And he's talking about worship. He just loved him. I mean, he's going up to the, to the poor people, the homeless people, the people that were just had leprosy. They were like the, the don't come near me, don't touch me, stay away. You have, we, we gave you a little area outside the city with a small roof and a thing. You stay there. That's where you live. And Jesus is like going out to them. At least that makes sense. Jesus is like, no, let's, let's go to Peter. Jesus is like, Peter, you're an idiot most of the time, but I love you anyway. And I'm going to continue to teach you and pour into you. And one day you're going to be a huge, intricate part of changing the world as we know it. Now just think about the way that Jesus loved you. Loved you through all the sin that you possess, all the things that you have. And, and we think, you talking about differences? You are polar opposite of Jesus Christ. Forget the, 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 the political stuff and the civic and the culture stuff. You were born hostile to God, is what the Bible says. You were born just filled with sin, loved sin, the ability to do sin. You were great at it. You didn't believe. You, you just, I mean, you, 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 you took the breath that he gave you. You took the talents and abilities that he gave you, and you spent most of your life chasing other things and devoting yourself to other things, and, 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 and you just you, you faked the stuff, and you got so much secret sin in your life. And, and at the end of the day, no, no matter all your differences and all your sin and all your darkness, Jesus still loves you in a way that you really can't fathom in this life. To the point that in your sins, in your darkness, in all, all of the hostility towards that, to all of that, Jesus hung on a cross and died for you. That's the type of love that he has for you and for his people. That he laid down his life for you when you did not believe in him and you were still sinners. He died for you. That's the type of love that Jesus has for his people. Now he flips it and he goes, and this is the way I want you to love each other. And this is the way, that type of love, loving each other, that's the type of love that when people look into your life, they will know that you are a disciple, not a Christian, a disciple, not a churchgoer, a disciple, not a religious person, a disciple. And that word disciple, it's mathetes. It, it means, the simple meaning is just, it means follower, it means learner of someone, but the, the core root of that I just found was interesting. It literally means the ability to learn. The ability, it, it comes from the where we get math from. It's the mental ability to, to think through something. It's, it's the idea that, that as you go through life, and you, and you wake up in the morning, you go through life, that you, you get, that, that the ability, the ability that you possess to think through life, the, the way that you think through life, the, the way that you live your life, the way that you address people, the way that, that you, you think about life, the way you think about our country, the way that you think about politics, the way that you think about the culture wars, the civic wars, the race wars, the way that you think, the way that you think is now possessed and totally controlled by Jesus Christ. That's the fullness of what that means. You don't just go to church. Anybody can just go to church. You don't just wear Christian t-shirts. Anybody can just wear Christian t-shirts. Even most of them really aren't that cool. Everybody can just pray before a meal. Everybody, when everybody's watching, can, can say that they're going there. But this, you can't fake being a disciple. Christians don't have any real responsibilities either, by the way. Disciples have distinct responsibilities, distinct mission. That's to change the world around them for the name of Jesus Christ. To love each other, to go about telling and spreading and baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a distinct mission. Christians can just go to church. Disciples, disciples can't. 
And I, and I just want to, because if you're not careful, you're going to, you can do just what Peter did. I, if, you, if you go down to, to verse 36, and I, just, I, I want you to just, just for a second humor me and just kind of put yourself in this place. Jesus is delivering this crazy, I mean, this is, this is epic information. This is a, a higher standard they've ever seen. This is, he's, he, this is a new commandment. He's telling them, I'm about to leave. I'm not, I'm not coming back and this is the new commandment. This is the way people are going to know you. This is the way you're going to prove that you are my followers or my disciples, the way that you love each other, all the other things. Like everything else really doesn't matter if you can't do this. If you can't do this, because there's, there's a thousand things that Jesus could have said that when people look into your life, they'll know you're my disciples. There's a thousand things he said, but this is the thing, the new commandment, the standard. He puts on this, he labels it. He really radically changes the way that they have to view everything thing and everybody. He sets the tone for the course of the power of the church. He sets the, uh, the tone for the course of the way that, that basically Rome bent its knee to, to, to Christ and to the, to the idea of salvation through Jesus Christ. I mean, and it only took 300 years. I mean, he paints the road and the foundation of a movement right here built upon this thing. And then this is what Peter says. Yeah, but where are you going though? Like didn't hear anything. Peter, there's not many good moments with Peter. There's a few. Not until the Holy Spirit fills him. That's a different. That's next week. But he's like, where, where are you going, man? What do you mean you're leaving? I can't go with you. And then he comes down. He says, he says, Jesus, he says, Jesus, I'm, I'll, I'll do, I'll do. I, I, I'm going to go with you. I can go with you. I mean, I would lay down my life for you, Jesus. He gets all dramatic. I feel like I would have a lot in common with Peter. Like somebody was trying to take Jesus, wrong or not, I take out my sword, I chop the ear off too. I just, I've always felt like that's my personality. Violence? That's not what I'm. He's like, he missed it. And Jesus says, You're really going to follow me? You're really going to lay down your life for me? He says, How about this? By, th- by the time the sun comes up, by the time the rooster crows tomorrow, you'll deny me three times. He says, Peter, you're really going to lay down your life for me? In just a few hours, you're going to be standing around a fire next to a teenage girl. She's going to ask you one question. You're going to run away like a little coward. And so here, here's, my, here's my, what I want you to consider, what I want you to think about. If you're not careful, you probably have in the past, you probably are right now, and you will continue to do so in the future. You will, like Peter, be fixated on the wrong things. And you won't understand the mission. You won't understand it. You won't have the power to live through. You'll miss the fullness of what Jesus is saying right here. Because you're just going to hear that word love. And you're just going to think, oh, that's just, that's just, that's it. It's love. I get you. I love you. I love your neighbor. I love you. I got, I got this. Yeah. You're a pastor. This is a church. That's what you talk about, love. This is totally and radically different than any other thing Jesus has presented before. And this is the thing that I want you to understand. This is the thing, and if you go through and you read Acts, and you go through and you look even at the Roman, outside the Bible, and you read the Roman historical texts, and some of the governors of Rome, and some of the leaders of Rome that were around that area, as they wrote out, they, they, they wrote all kinds of history and stuff to, to send back to Rome to get these things, you will, you will see that the thing that radically changed the world, the reason how there was these, these 11, 11 guys, Judas hung himself, one of them was Peter, so 10 guys, I'm just kidding. Jesus leaves, 10 guys go on. They all die for their Savior, almost every single one of them except for John. Paul comes along. There's just a small group of people, and within 300 years, the largest, most dominant 
world power in history within 300 years bent its knee down to the name of Jesus Christ and declared the entire Roman world Christian. And if you go through and you read the history, it wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the power. It was genuinely, as Christ said, it was the way that they loved each other. It was the way that they took care of each other. It was the way that they took care of the poor. It was the way that as they were being stoned and murdered, they cried out, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was the way that they lived, the way that they died, the way that they took care of people. It was, it was the way, and it all came down to this one thing, the way that they loved each other. Because somewhere along the lines, Peter quit thinking like Peter. John quit thinking like John. They quit thinking like Democrats and quit thinking like Republicans and they quit thinking like, like socialists. They quit thinking like capitalists. They quit thinking like, oh, they started thinking like Jesus Christ. And they started viewing people through the lens of Jesus Christ. And at once, some point or another, they got together and they started looking at people and they said, I have to love this person the way that Jesus loved me and Jesus died for me. So if I have to die for them, then that's what I'll do. Even though they're coming after me to kill me and, they, and they've taken everything from me and they've killed my friends and they've taken, that I still love them and I'm going to forgive them no matter what they do to me. And even though this person's different from me and they don't believe the same things I believe and they don't do the same things I do and they don't value the same things I value, I'm still, if I can help them, I'm going to help them. If I can take care of them, I'm going to take care of them. If, I, if they will give me the opportunity to love them, I will love them. And see, what so many American Christians do is they take their stance, they take their values, they take their principles, and then they, they try to work Christianity around it. What a disciple does is he stands firm, she stands firm, centered around the Word of God, centered around the love of Jesus Christ, and then they build everything else on top of that. And that's different than the way many of us live our lives. I would be willing to bet that over the last several hundred years of our country, if, if, if Christians stopped being Christians and started being disciples, we would not be where we are today. That if Christians just stopped being Christians and stopped just attending church and started living out the life Jesus Christ called us to as a disciple, that we would not be in the situation we are today. I would be willing to bet that, that, that slavery would have ended a long time ago or not would have been in existence in this country if everybody that, that said they were Christians lived out their life as disciples according to this new commandment. I'd be willing to bet that, that the, the Civil War probably never would have happened. I'd be willing to bet that, that the, the deep hatred, the deep anger that exists right now throughout our country, the deep division, all that. If, if the, everybody that called themselves Christians were actually living out their lives as disciples, only following this one commandment, I would suggest that we would be absolutely nowhere when it comes to the division that we are today. And I want to ask you this morning, Taylor, you can come play. I want to ask you this morning as we worship, because there is a lot of people in this room right now, and I, and I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope this offends you. There's a lot of people in this room right now. You are a Republican before you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a Democrat before you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a President Obama supporter before you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a President Trump supporter 
before you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have a, a, a cultural stance in your heart that takes the place prior and before and more important than being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is something that you have focused in on, that you have, you have taken a stance on, that you have built up in your life, and you are this thing, you support this thing, think this way, you do this before you live out your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ by loving each other the way that Jesus loved us. And here's the thing that I want, I want to bring back, I want to bring back really fast, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to point to this in a way that you can comprehend and understand this. The way Jesus presented this at the time at which that he presented and the language at which he used, this was not a suggestion. This was not good advice. This was a commandment of God. Therefore, I don't care how long you've come to church, which campground you tend to go to, what your view is about Trump, Obama, Bush, all of them, Clinton, the dude that smokes weed, Sanders, right? I don't care what your view is. I don't care what, what, what side, I don't care if you're black, white, red, or yellow, and what side of the racial war you, you fall on and what you think about the history of our country and what you think about immigration and what you think about what, I don't care what you think about when it comes to that stuff. When you take anything on that level, anything at all, and you raise it up, and this is who you are, and this defines who you are, and this defines how you see people, and this defines how you think, and defines how you do this, more or under or above that of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are living in sin. You hear me? Did he just say it's a sin to be a Republican? Yes, if you're a Republican before you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are living in sin. You will go to bat to defend the president that you agree with long before you live out this rule, this law that Jesus brought out. You will do research. You will put together a, a thesis on Facebook to support or demonize somebody that is in the opposition of your political stance. But you would never, dare you ever, get into the scriptures and figure out how to live out your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ and love each other in the way that he loved us. You following me? This isn't, a, this isn't a good idea. This isn't good advice. This is cold-hearted, outright, rebellious sin. When you take politics and you take culture wars and you take civic wars and you take all of these stances and all these little platforms and all these little things and you allow them to define yourself, to define your household, to define your social media account, to define the way that you see people, if you do that before you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, loving each other as he loved him, then you are living a life of sin. I don't care how you vote. I don't care how long you go to church. I don't care what you do before. I don't care who you pray to. In that moment, even if you label yourself Christian, you have lived out your life in deep-seated rebellious sin, disobeying the last commandment that Jesus Christ said, love each other the way that I have loved you. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is not, this is, this is, this is, this is not a, a small change in, for many of your lives. It's just not. Because you are, you're a red-blooded American. And, you, and you, you're, you're passionate about the thing, whatever the thing is. This is for many of you, this would be an entire paradigm shift in the way you view life. Because you would have to replace your mental ability. You would have, the thing that dictates how you live life would have to become Jesus 
and the lens at which you would view would have to be love, not just any love, but the way that he loved us. That would be your standard. And so that would mean that, that, that a lot of you would need to seek out a lot of people and ask for forgiveness. That means that there's a lot of you that, that would have to change the way that you view politics and the way that you view. Because I, I'm going to open this up for you. Do, you. do you know from a spiritual side, and I've prayed a lot about it. Do you know what I saw in the last presidential election? I saw a proven lying deceiver, power-hungry woman on one side and the most arrogant human being I've ever seen in my whole life on the other side. Do you know what the Bible says about arrogance? God says, I will oppose the arrogant. So on that thing alone, that terrifies me. That God goes out of his way only on one thing throughout all of scripture. The arrogant I will oppose. There is no political hero going to rise up to save us. There's no black, white, red, or yellow hero in the Democratic Party, black, white, red, or yellow in the Republican Party or the Independent Party. There's nobody that's going to rise up and save us and save this country. It's not going to happen. But I have seen throughout history, time and time again, when Christians stop being Christians and start being disciples of Jesus Christ, putting Christ and his love at the forefront of their life, living out that every single day. I have seen that in itself topple world powers over and over and over again. It started off with 11. What would our world look like in six months and nine months and 12 months if just the people in this room came up to this altar today? Thank God for repentance for the way that you've lived your life and made a commitment that from this point forward, if you disobey every other command in the book, you were going to love each other the way that Christ loved us. What I might add, Jesus also said, all the law hangs on that. How different would our world be if just the people in this room said, that's the way we're going to live our life. We're going to love each other the way that Christ loved us. I challenge you this morning to search your heart. Some of you need repentance this morning. You need forgiveness for the sins that you've lived out in your life. And I challenge you to make a commitment that if you call yourself Christian, transfer to disciple because the standard is a lot higher. And walk out of here. Don't live in the world 